Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Reading Materials podcast, where two friends get together every couple of weeks to read a book and then discuss it on the show. My name is Lucia, and my name is Corey, and we are very quickly reaching the end of another season. This is episode nine of season five. How are you doing, Corey? I'm good. I can't actually believe that this is the end of the season. Mm-hmm. It has felt like it's all getting to the end of the season. It's felt like it's dragged a bit uh, mm-hmm. at points, and at other points it's felt like it's going very quickly. It's the 1st of December today, as we record, yes. which means I'm very excited about getting the Christmas spirit, but my husband will not yet let me do so. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Everything fine, everything same old, nothing new to report. You gave me the idea to put up the Christmas tree today, so I might do that tonight. Um, Other than that, just chugging along, counting down the days until we go to Slovakia for Christmas and New Year's. Mm. Yeah, that's about it. Mm. Very exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you been reading anything outside of the podcast? No. Well, I read... The Bullet That Missed by Richard Osman, which is the third book in the Thursday Murder Club series. Mm-hmm. And when I say read it, I mean I listen to it on audio, audio, audible, audible. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those days again, apparently. <laughs> How about you? Has, is your reading still going nuts? No, actually. Dr. Doolittle is the first book that I finished since we last recorded. So I've been really winding down. Excellent. I'm still hoping to reach 100 because two more books after this for the podcast, and that'll be books 98 and 99. Oh, so you just need one more. So I just need one more. (laughs) You've got this. And then maybe next year you won't want to read 100 books in a year. (laughs) No, I don't think I will. No. I mean... Well, you never know, but I don't, I don't know if it's feasible. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So I already gave it away, but today's episode is the story of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting. So spoiler warning at this point, if anyone has not read this book and would like to read it before listening to the episode, please stop now and go and do that because we will be spoiling pretty much the whole book as we go. And I did a bit of reading up on the author. So Hugh Lofting was an English author. He was born in 1886 and he died in 1947. He is best known for uh, the character of Dr. Doolittle and he originally trained as a civil engineer and he fought in World War One. And while he was away at war, his children wanted him to send them letters about his experience on the front lines, but he thought that this would be too traumatic and too gruesome for them. So instead, he started writing them these fantastical stories that would then later on become the books of Dr. Doolittle. He was married three times. He had three children. He was quite well-traveled. He died in California. 
And yeah, he's a much beloved children's author. There isn't really much on his Wikipedia page apart from this. Fair enough. Where, which, war, which war was he fighting in? First World War. The First World War. Mm. Interesting. I think he would have been about in his, yeah, in his early 30s, I think, during the First World War. Gosh. And he, he fought with the British Army. So. That's how old we are. Isn't that scary? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Mm. Beautiful. So, that's, that's that about him. Lovely, and... You didn't read anything more on him, did you? No, I didn't. I, I will admit, I looked at how short this book was, and I procrastinated and procrastinated, and I read it last night. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, um, yeah... The only thing to add, I guess, is that we did mention it in last week's episode, but in case you hadn't listened, we suddenly realised about two weeks ago that we had miscalculated what how many episodes there were in this series, so it was a very last-minute <laughs> choice. Yeah. Um, Hence why it's such a short book as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lovely. Well, yes. would you like to give us some blurb? Yes, it's quite short, but here's the blurb from Goodreads. The Story of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting Dr. John Doolittle loves animals. He loves them so much that his home and office overflow with animals of every description. When Polynesia the parrot teaches him the language of the animals... Dr. Doolittle becomes a world-famous doctor, traveling even as far away as Africa to help his friends. The mm. end. <laughs> Very good. Mm-hmm. So, start us off, please. What did you think? I think I think it's going to have a very solid four stars from me. Mm-hmm. It is very short, and I read a non-illustrated version which was possibly quite good, but I was thinking the whole way through how much fun it would be to illustrate it. I think probably the reason it's not a five-star read is just because it, it makes a lot of sense that you've said it's it was sort of written as short stories to his children because it did feel really fragmented and things didn't always seem to, like make sense or follow on from each other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I found it a little bit confusing at times. How mm -hmm. about you? I think I'll go for three stars. I fully acknowledge that this is a children's book and therefore I am not the target audience, but I kind of couldn't disassociate myself from that and I found it all very naive <laughs> and uh, very simple, which is fine because it is for children. So that's perfectly fine. But me as an adult reading it, yep. it was a bit too simple for me. And I think there were some, you know, problematic elements in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Probably they weren't problematic when it came out. But we are now in tw almost in well, when this episode airs, we'll be in twenty twenty three. Oh my gosh! So 
some of the terminology and some of the plot elements that were used in this book, I think, are inappropriate. So, yes, we will discuss that as we go through the book, I'm sure. Yes, I did read something last week because there are... We've only covered the story of Dr. Doolittle, which is the first. I think mm-hmm. there are seven of these books. I think. I can't remember exactly how many. But when yeah. I was trying to find which one I was actually going to read last week, I think I did come across something by one of his children or his grandchildren where they mentioned the inappropriate elements of it that were edited out in later versions of the book because... yes. Because they can be problematic. And I'm not sure if I... I'm not sure which version I had. I was looking out for it as I went through. And there were definitely... There were definitely areas where it was a little bit... Ooh, but but there wasn't any terminology or anything that I thought... That's not okay. It -hmm. might be because I was, again, putting myself back 120... 100 years. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah... Yeah, so this, the first one came out in 1920, so this one is 102 years old. And yeah, as you say, there are, I think, seven, I think you're right, seven more books after this, all featuring Dr. Doolittle as the main character. I haven't read any of them. I hadn't read this book before we picked it up for the podcast. I think I might have seen a film adaptation. I think I saw the one with Eddie Murphy. But I don't I don't actually remember the plot of the movie. I think I don't think it actually had much to do with the original plot of the movie. It was probably just the character and kind of modernized. Mm-hmm. Yes, fun fact about that movie. It was mm-hmm. on in our house every day for approximately three years when we first moved to the UK because um my father had an obsession with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. There are still little catchphrases that we use from the movie. There's a there's a point where a little dog goes, I'm hungry, in in that kind of intonation, and we still all say that to each other in our family. <laughs> but yes, oh, I sweet. I had also never I'm I I was surprised that it was set in England and Africa and not in New mm-hmm. York, which is where the movie is set. So Right. Or or America. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it is literally just that Eddie Murphy, as Dr. Doolittle, can talk to animals. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Dr. Doolittle then? Yes, so Dr. Doolittle is... Uh, he's actually a medical doctor uh, of humans. And he has all of these pets and... I can't remember how it happens. He, I think he has so many animals in the home that people stop visiting him. And so his sister lives with him and they start running out of money because he's not working and he's really not motivated by money at all. And mm-hmm. so eventually all of the people stop visiting and he runs out of money and... Then Polynesia, the parrot, teaches him to speak the language of the animals and all the languages of all the animals. So he then he's then one day talking to the 
I think it's the cat meat man or the yes. meat man or something. And he, the meat man says, why don't you treat animals? Um, I, I will tell all of the little old ladies to bring their cats and dogs here. And so he does and they do and they start making loads of money. But then Dr. Doolittle gets a crocodile <laughs> and um, and so people stop visiting again. Yep. And then they have to go on a voyage to Africa because some African birds, I think it's a swallow, brings news that the all the monkeys are sick and they need the famous Dr. Doolittle to go and fix them all. And he finds it very easy to fix all these animals despite not being a vet because they can just tell him what's wrong. And in many cases it's very simple, such as a horse that needs glasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they go to Africa, they fix all the monkeys, and then they come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's... I think the word naive is correct. He's very much a naive sort of... Although he's obviously a clever man because he's studied to be a doctor, he he is really not motivated by money, so he has absolutely no desire to make money or look after the money and first of all his sister lives with him and tries to manage with the money but then she gets so sick of it that she leaves that's the only highlight I put into my kindle was that she is talking to him and he says well if you don't like it why don't you go and get married Uh, so she does she just goes and gets married and moves out and I was just like that is so of its era (laughs) yeah oh not necessarily a good thing, but I just thought that that was, I don't know, uh, it really dated the book. Whereas I think everything else, if you suspended your disbelief about animals talking and all of that, that was one of the things that was like, this is really of its time. There are a few more, <laughs> but but he's, he's a generally kind-hearted man. Mm-hmm. He kind of wants to do good and... The reason he comes back to England is because he knows he owes a debt to the sailor whose ship he borrowed to go to Africa. So he does want to make right his sort of commitments. What did you think of Dr. Doolittle? I found him to be quite a a likable character. Quite, you know, I don't think there's anything truly negative to be said about him as a character. As you've already said, most of the things very kind-hearted he just wants to help people he wants he loves animals wants to help animals there are a number of times when he's put in a position where he could punish someone's bad behavior but he never does he always takes the the high road or whatever you want to call it but the fact that he his his approach to money i found a little bit frustrating because it just felt so unbelievable Mm. that he like I can understand people who struggle to make money obviously people who mismanage their money but for him to basically just go around saying well I don't see the point of money therefore I won't worry about money is very short-sighted I think that was maybe the most frustrating part of the book for me yeah don't really know what else to say about him I questioned how he was able to sail to Africa and back, not being a trained sailor. But I suppose, you know, again, a children's book, we just 
accept it and move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, there was also a bit where before they go to Africa, all the animals sit down and they go, right, we need to clean clean the clean the house and do all of these things that Dr. Doolittle can't afford to pay somebody else to do and clearly is is incapable of doing himself. And mm-hmm. I think there was something about it took the animals all a little while to learn how to do their chores. So I think in my head after that, they kind of learned to sail the boat as well. <laughs> but right. okay. yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I liked his sister. I wish we'd seen more of her. But, you know, again, she is the only... Well, there's two female characters in this book. There's his sister, Sarah, and then there's the queen in Africa. But neither of them are particularly important to the story or positive. It seems like all Sarah does is nag her brother about the fact that they don't have money to live off of, which is a fair thing to point out to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, She does all the housekeeping. She does all the cooking, all the cleaning. And it felt a little bit ungrateful even the passing comment that after she leaves and the animals start cleaning the house there is this comment of and the house had never been this clean before so yeah okay so we really don't appreciate sarah's efforts at all (laughs) no no yeah i think the the other criticism that nobody who listens to this podcast regularly will be surprised about is the lack of character development again Mm -hmm children's story you don't necessarily need to know their life stories but um but it is very difficult to form any other opinions about them because like you say that's the only thing we learn about Sarah and we really we really don't learn very much about Dr. Doolittle apart from through the adventure yeah exactly it it felt more like an adventure story again Mm. Kind of like when we read Journey to the Center of the Earth, there wasn't really much in terms of character growth. It was all about the adventure. Yeah. And that was also very much the case here. I mean, once he sets off to Africa, it is just, you know, one by one, all the things that he has to overcome and all the animals that he meets along the way. Not so much him growing as a person. Yes. I suppose the, the main growth is the fact that he learns to speak to animals, which no other human can do. Mm. I also didn't, when I, when I was reading it, I didn't catch on to the fact that he learned everybody's language. So I kind of thought that maybe all the animals were speaking the same language, but that's obviously not the case because he does then make different noises when he's speaking to different animals, which begs the question of how do all the animals talk to each other? Because yes. there are conversations between animals. I don't know. There, there is a sentence that uh, about that when Polynesia is talking to him about teaching him the language of all the animals, but it's really glossed over, and it doesn't explain it. It, it does just say that we all have our own language. So, when the dog looks at you in a certain way, he's very clearly telling you this sentence and all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So. Yeah, don't know. Hmm. Don't know. It's not the kind of thing that a sort of... I guess this would be aimed at, like, maybe seven to ten-year-olds. Really not the kind of thing they would question. <laughs> yeah, probably. Unless they're very precocious. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he starts off learning how to speak to birds. Mm. 
And then he kind of moves on from there. What else? Oh, actually, um, I didn't mention this when I was talking about the author. But one of the reasons, I mean, the author was himself a big animal lover. And from what I read, one of the reasons why he decided to feature animals so heavily in his stories that he was sending to his children was because he was so against the treatment of the animals that were also in the war. So all mm -hmm. the horses or any of the dogs, yeah. he basically was pointing out that, you know, if a, if a man, if a human was wounded, they would be looked after, they would be treated. But if an animal was wounded, it would immediately be put down, which he thought was a horrible thing to do. So mm. he wanted the animals to be center stage in his story. Mm. Yeah. I suppose there were elements of that kind of commentary throughout the book about the treatment of animals by humans. For example, the horse that comes to him and all he needs is a pair of glasses, which I thought was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. He kicked a boy, I think, because yeah. why did he do that? They thought that he was going lame uh, because he was stumbling over things in the fields, but actually the problem was that he couldn't see. Yeah. And and instead of the the vet that they'd got for the horse, eventually the farmer stopped going to him because he wasn't solving the problem, and they got this boy who was being interfering and mm. pushy. I think was how it was described. Yeah. And the horse basically kicks him and it's kind of written off as, eh, I suppose the kid deserved it. Mm. But like, I mean, if you get kicked by a horse, that's really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because I think there are some, well, you do see just some terrible things about things that happen to animals and particularly in the first world war, I think uh, the film or the book war horse. Hmm is quite harrowing if you're an animal lover. And mm -hmm. then even pigeons, they used carrier pigeons a lot to send messages. And obviously that was probably not for a little pigeon going into an active war zone. I don't know. They mm. would send like f they would send multiple pigeons with the same message hoping that one of them would get through. <laughs> yeah, there's also a speech by uh Polynesia about how people think they're so wonderful, but, you know, nobody has ever tried to learn how to communicate with animals, so just how great can people actually be? Anyway, apparently she's 183 years old, this parrot. Mm. 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 Why was it necessary to come up with such a crazy, unbelievable number? Maybe they didn't know how long parrots actually live back then? I don't know. Yeah, I, I also don't know. I just thought it was a little bit strange. Yeah, and I also found it very interesting that she was from Africa originally, mm -hmm. but her name was Polynesia, because Polynesia's not, wasn't Africa, was it? I don't know where Polynesia was, or is. Is it still a current area of the world? I don't know. Showing my ignorance here. But she she also said that she hadn't been to Africa for like 169 years or something. Mm -hmm. Very odd. It was, it was just quite an odd 
it was like there was trying to be some character development, but it lent nothing to the story. Mm. Maybe it's just a fantastical thing, like, oh, children, <gasps> this parrot's 183 years old, you know? Yeah, I wonder if that was his way of explaining why it was so clever. Because mm. Polynesia, you know, saved the day a lot. Yes. And she is the one who taught him all the animal languages. So maybe. Yeah. Maybe it was that. So they <clears throat> they get the crocodile, as you've already mentioned, which is what drives all the customers away because everyone's scared of the crocodile. So he has to sell off a lot of his possessions so that he can have some money to live off of. And then there is a man who comes to him with a monkey called Chichi. And there is a terrible sickness among the monkeys in Africa, and they need a doctor. And so Dr. Doolittle decides that he will go on this voyage and he will go to Africa to save the monkeys. What did you think of that part of the book, I guess, the voyage to Africa? I mean, the voyage to Africa was just nonsensical. <laughs> It takes them six weeks to sail in a one-man boat with all the animals that he's taken with him. So he's taken Polynesia and the crocodile, and then Chi-Chi, the, the um, monkey, because he buys the monkey off the, I think it's a rag and bone man or tinker man or something like that. And then he takes his favourite pig, and there's a mouse that stows away, and the dog goes with Yip, Yip, or Jip. And along the way, they talk to porpoises, and the porpoises catch. Oh no, they take. He takes the duck as well, and the duck catches them fish on Tuesdays, because then they all the beef will run out. Otherwise, it was it was it was nuts. I mean, nuts. Perfect for children, but completely off the rails. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. For me, I think the silliest part of it was when they're preparing for the trip and Polynesia tells him that he needs to have an anchor, which is fine, I understand that, but he also needs a bell to tell time by and that they're supposed to ring the bell every half hour and then they will know what time it is. Doesn't that kind of defeat the point? <laughs> like, how do they know it's been half an hour? Surely they must have another way of telling time, so what's the point of the bell? <laughs> I think that must have been like a bit of an in-joke because I think that is how when they did these long voyages on the seas and probably the captain or the, you know, the higher officers were the only ones who could actually afford timepieces or whatever. So the only way the sailors knew what the time was, was by the ringing of the bell every every so often. And and the anecdote from Polynesia was that she had been on ships before and she knew that that was one of the things that they needed. Okay. But, yeah, it, it was... Oh, no, I had a thought and it's fled my mind. I can't remember. I'll, I'll tell you if I come back to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so I found that to be a little bit funny. Mm. He also takes the owl, Tutu. Yes. What do you think of all these names? Is it supposed to be a play on words, like kind of imitating the sounds that these specific animals make? I think it must be, because the the dog's name, which is it's Jip or Yip or something, you know, that's like a little bark. And mm. the 
duck, I think, was Dab Dab. Yes. I, I, I haven't written anything down, so I'm probably or possibly getting it all wrong. But yeah, I think I think it must be something relating to that. There was a... The monkey's name is Gigi, and that translates to ginger in the monkey language, apparently. And the only reason I know that is because the edition that I had on my Kindle, it had like all of these talking points that the kids were supposed to be like looking out for. So you were specifically supposed to be trying to figure out or trying to answer the question, what does Gigi mean in, Mm -hmm. in the monkey language? Mm -hmm. But again, I can fully imagine that being a word that, or a sound that monkeys sort of make. I thought it was quite weird that they all kind of like dab, dab, tutu, Gigi, like, not sort of mm-hmm. one word. A funny story. In school, or in high school, when I moved to Belgium, a lot of people didn't know how to pronounce my name, and they assumed that it was supposed to be pronounced Lucia. And from that, some people started calling me Chi-Chi. <laughs> For a while, that was my nickname. <laughs> oh, that's cute. I didn't know that. <laughs> So now when you point out that it also means ginger and I do have red hair, so. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness. Yeah, I don't think they knew that then, but anyway, doesn't matter. Just a funny side note. (laughs) I love that. So they, eventually they make it to Africa. Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably the problematic section of the book. definitely. And they get to a kingdom in Africa, called Yoliginki, Joliginki. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the pronunciation is supposed to be. And Polynesia, the parrot, says that they need to speak to the king because all the strangers must be brought before him and he will decide if he will let them on with their journey. So they go and they meet the king. The king is married to the queen, Ermintrude, and they have a son called Prince Bumpo. And the king is very mean, and he decides that they are not allowed to travel through his lands because of an experience that he had had many years ago when another white man had come to his shores. And this man uh, took a lot of gold. He killed elephants to get their ivory. And so never again shall a white man travel through his kingdom, and he puts them all in prison. And then Polynesia comes to the rescue. So what does Polynesia do? So she flies through a hole in the glass because a little child has thrown a ball at the window and goes and pretends to be Dr. Doolittle, tells the king that she is Dr. Doolittle and that he's invisible and that they must be let out. I can't remember exactly what the threat is. Is it that he's magic and that he'll the king will regret it? Basically, I think he's saying that, or she's saying that if the king doesn't let them go, Dr. Doolittle can make all the people sick with the same disease that the monkeys Uh, have. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, so, yeah, so they do let the doctor and all of his animals go, and then Queen Ermintrude sees Polly and tries to stop the king from letting them go but it's too late they've all already gone and then Mm -hmm. there's this big chase through the the kingdom 
I think you're right in this being the problematic part of the book. Was there anything in it that came across to you as being particularly inappropriate? Up to this point, no. I had some issues with the name Bumpo. It just seemed Mm. very cartoonish and silly. My main issue comes up a bit later, and it's still to do with the royal family. Okay, fine. But was there anything that you in particular already noticed? The the name Ermintrude is, mm-hmm. I mean, this may be an entirely personal to me thing, but it's mm-hmm. the kind of name that is associated with kind of like cows these days. Like you see, you see cows being called Ermintrude. It's not really a human name. Okay. So that was a little bit, it pinged my woman radar slightly because I was a little like, okay, cool. So we've had the sister who's been married off or who's been told to go get married so she doesn't have to live with the doctor anymore. Mm. And now we've got this queen who, well, all she does basically is go to parties and she's 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 clearly of no worth to the king. She's a bit of a joke character. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 was kind of my difficulty with it. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know that that name had any other meaning. To me, it sounded very like a very British name. I, yes, I can't quite see why a queen in Africa would have this name. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, but other than that, I didn't really pick up on anything else. It might just be that my uncle's a dairy, or used to be a dairy farmer, and mm-hmm. that's where I get that association from, so I could be completely wrong. The king realizes that he's been tricked, and he sends all his soldiers and the queen and his son to go chase after Dr. Doolittle and all the other animals, so they're all running through the jungle, and they come upon some of the monkeys, and then the monkeys form a bridge over a ravine which also how (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i really had in my mind i'm sure there's a cartoon that i've watched at some point where this happens where they all sort of hold on to each other's legs and arms and you know and it's this comical sort of tower of monkeys except it's been placed horizontally and then the monkey who was the last one to be on the side that you're escaping from is the one who lets go and yeah very strange they uh, I think this was the bit where I was like yeah this is definitely a children's story because like I say I was sort of thinking of that kind of cartoonish Mm -hmm. you know you can just see a tower of monkeys like swaying you know as they all sort of try to keep their balance and yeah very silly but I, I thought it was quite cute okay how about you I mean, I just found it silly. Mostly just silly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This bridge Mm -hmm. of apes. Yeah. So they reach the land of the monkeys and there's all different kinds of monkeys. There's gorillas, orangutans, chimpanzees, baboons, etc. And he decides, well, the way that he treats the monkeys is that he vaccinates them all. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, 
where did he get the vaccines from? How did he know which medicine to bring with him and how much of it to bring with him? Because he's talking about hundreds and thousands of monkeys. So like, I know vaccines are small doses, but still he must have been carrying this with him <laughs> this whole journey, <laughs> six weeks. He's got like a Mary Poppins bag filled with... <laughs> Probably, he must do, yeah. <laughs> Medication. Yeah, so the sort of strongest vibes that I was getting off this bit from a historical context point of view was this mm -hmm. was just after the Spanish influenza epidemic, which killed h hundreds of thousands of people. But it's relevant even now because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pro-vaccines. I think you are as well. But mm -hmm. through COVID, we have discovered that there are a large number of people who are not pro-vaccines. I've found people that I know who are anti-vaxxers. And that was kind of... I feel like this is an author's attempt to put vaccinations into the everyday lexicon, you know, to sort of chuck them into a children's story and go vaccinations aren't something to be scared of they are they are good and they can help you and they can help prevent illnesses it was the only it was the only reason i could think of for putting it into the book because otherwise it was kind of kind of like you say it sort of came out of nowhere and where did the vaccines come from and and otherwise all he did was isolate and nurse monkeys back to health which, because of vaccination, it doesn't help you if you've already got the disease. It's not a cure, it's a preventative measure. Yeah, I thought that was quite <laughs> quite interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to see now... We're going to go off on one, because I'm going to latch onto this, this vaccination. I'm trying to see when the first vaccines were developed like how common was it for people to be vaccinated when this book came out so i believe the first one was was smallpox or cowpox wasn't it mm -hmm. and that yes, was, it was yeah was it edward jenner i don't have the name in front of me but ap apparently from at least the 15th century people were intentionally exposing themselves to smallpox mm. to smallpox gain immunity so the he created the Edward Jenner created it in 1796. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. I think that they 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 weren't particularly commonly used. Then there's the rabies vaccine 1885. So it's wow. Yeah. The Spanish flu was 1919, 1918. I think that would have maybe been the first like widely used one so as you say it would have been really topical i guess mm. so the reason i'm kind of keep talking about this from what you said to bring the word vaccination into children's vocabulary because nowadays you know children will be vaccinated against numerous diseases as they're growing up so if a child reads it today, this book, they will probably know what that means. Or if they don't, then their parent can tell them, oh, you know, remember that time when we went to the doctor and you got an injection, that was a vaccination. Mm. But in 1920, if a child was re reading it, would even 
their parents be able to explain what it was because it was so new as a thing? I don't know. So it's it looks like there there was a in the eighteen fifties a compulsory compulsory vaccination was introduced. I'm not sure exactly what that was for, but the flu vaccination was actually only developed in 1937. So, yeah, not not sure. There's I'm I'm I mean I'm scrolling through Wikipedia, and there are just there's a huge timeline of a timeline of global health which you could look into. But it it does look like. It was the 1850s that it started, the, the, the germ theory of disease started being really widely accepted. Mm-hmm. And there was some sort of program in the States where they implemented some kind of organization to implement widespread vaccination. Interesting. Back to the story. I guess that was our little history lesson about (laughs) vaccinations. So they start building like a hospital of sorts or a nursing home for all the monkeys to recuperate in. But all so many monkeys are sick that there aren't enough other monkeys to help with the nursing. So they try and get the other animals to come and help. And the lion, the king of beasts, is very proud and he feels like this is beneath him. He's not going to help the dirty monkeys. And because he doesn't want to help, then none of the other animals want to help either because they're afraid that the lion will turn against them. And then you have this, I suppose, funny scene where he goes back and the lioness, who is in the cave, raising their two little cubs, goes off on one against him (laughs) because he's saying that one of their cubs is kind of sickly and why are you so stupid? You know, you should go back to this wonderful man who's come all this way to help the animals because we are going to need his help because our little cub is ill and now you've made an enemy of him so you should go back and you should apologize and tell him you're sorry and work hard and help him with his efforts so that he will come help us, which I thought was pretty funny. Mm. But yeah, what did you think of that? I think it it did make me, I mean, it doesn't shine women in the best light yet again. It's like the scolding wife. Mm -hmm. But it did amuse me that he then sort of goes back to the doctor and he, he, he doesn't say he's been scolded. He's like, no, well, you know, I think this is a good idea and I've told everybody else to come and help. Oh, and by the way, I've got a sick cub. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he doesn't actually say he's sorry. He no. just says, oh, well, I see you haven't gotten any help yet. So, oh, I suppose I can help you. But um, yes, as you say, by the way, my wife says that we have a sick cub at home. I don't think there's anything wrong, but you know, women, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Thing>. <laughs> uh <sighs> Yeah, it was it it is it, quite amusing. I think I would have liked more detail about how this all went down, you know. Hmm. Yes. Yes. How did they build these structures? Yeah. And I feel like that? this monkey bit, like this bit where you are curing the monkeys as Doctor Doolittle, it's the 
it's the reason the trip has happened and it feels like one of the shortest parts of the book yeah i agree it's it's over in two three chapters maybe Mm. um more time is spent with the monkeys discussing between themselves how can they get dr doolittle to stay after he's already cured all of them than is actually spent curing them Mm mm-hmm but basically, they form a council and they try and convince Dr. Doolittle to stay. He won't stay. He says that he needs to go back because he needs to repay the sailor who gave him the boat. And he owes money to people and etc. etc. We're introduced to the concept of money. Mm-hmm. As in the animals are introduced to the concept of money. So... Again, we have this section of money is meaningless. Why do we have money? But, oh, I suppose he needs money as a, as a man. Mm. And so they obviously don't have any money, but Chi-Chi comes up with the idea that if he were to take back a truly exotic animal, he could put on a show that people would then pay for to see this exotic animal and they decide to go and find a push-me-pull-you. Mm-hmm. And I only just now, having read it aloud, <laughs> noticed the play on words there. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> so what's the push-me-pull-you? Uh, it's, it's a kind of antelope-type animal where... Uh, its great-great-grandfather was a unicorn and instead of having a backside as all other antelopes do it has two heads um, one where the rump would normally be and one of the one of the heads is only used for eating because it's rude to talk when one is eating so they separate the duties out in order to always be polite because they try to be as polite or it tries to be as polite as possible. Mm -hmm. It's apparently very shy and it doesn't like being looked at, so they have quite the job to actually find it, but then the monkeys have a job finding it and then eventually it agrees that it will go with Dr. Doolittle. I can't remember why they decide to give him this. Is it so that he comes back? Or is it just so that he can make some money? I think it's just so that he can make some money. So they talk Mm. about the fact that zoos and menageries exist in the land of the white man. And whilst the animals are against the concept of zoos, they come to the agreement with the push-me-pull-you that he wouldn't ever be put in a cage. He would always be free, but people would just be able to go and look at him. Mm-hmm. And pay for the privilege to see this rarest of animals. Fair enough. So then we reach the scene where the monkeys decide to build a monument to um, the doctor. Which for me was another slightly problematic section. They refer to him as... This is where the good white man sat and ate food with us the year of the great sickness. I mean, it's very much a, oh, the white man has come and saved the 
poor creatures that can't take care of themselves in Africa. Okay, yes, it's animals, but still, like I feel like the message is the same, and I I didn't like it. Yeah, it's that is a very I mean, it's it's topical now because in Africa they are pulling down statues of the colonialists and I mean I mean I live in Bristol which is where the statue of the slave trader got pulled down during the during 2020 yeah it's very much idolatry of a problematic nature isn't it and it's it is just a a big boulder that is put where Dr. Lude Little sat during this final supper but I think it's a topic that has become a lot more problematic in the last couple of decades probably or last few decades rather than it's not something they would have I mean they were still building monuments to all sorts of things back then weren't they yeah it's hard to know how you would change that in a in a I'm not sure that you would necessarily want to change it but you know how if this was to be adapted into a film or something now as this story is itself how that would be treated to either give it a bit of a better message or, you know, if they would actually care at all. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know because, I mean, I don't think that there's inherently anything wrong with building a monument to Dr. Doolittle as a person. It's more the fact that yeah. they refer to him as the good white man. Yeah, yeah, they frame which... it as he's, he, he came and did something that we are just not capable of doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if a modern adaptation was made, I mean, I think the most recent adaptation was in 2020 or like with um, Robert Downey Jr. Mm. And okay, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But I imagine maybe they just would there would just would have been a statue and it would have been this is where Dr. Doolittle sat and ate food. Yes. And I think that would have maybe been a better message. Agreed. Yes, but still the most problematic section is to come because mm-hmm. now they've decided that they need to go back to England. So they have to go back through the kingdom to get to the shore where they left their boat. And they are caught mm-hmm. by the king's men. Well, they get lost, basically, is what happens. And they manage to walk into the camp of, of the king. So they're put back in prison and Polynesia the parrot to the rescue yet again (laughs) because she finds Prince Bumpo walking around being very sad and he sits on a bench just under the tree where Polynesia and Chi-Chi are sitting and why is he sad, Corey? He is sad because he's not good looking enough and he wants to go and find... He found Sleeping Beauty before, and he kissed her and woke her up, and she didn't want to go with him because she, he was too ugly. And so Polynesia imitates a fair... Or she pretends that she is a fairy queen, and she says that if Bumpo gets a boat and makes and goes to Dr. Doolittle, they need a new boat because their previous boat was shipwrecked. But if she, if he goes to Dr. Doolittle, then Dr. Doolittle can change his appearance, and then all the women will fall in love with him, and he will be very handsome. 
and then he can let Dr. Doolittle and his friends go. Is that what was in your book? Yeah. Ah. Okay, so that is on. not what was in my book. <laughs> okay, go on then. Because I was wondering, are you just sugarcoating this? But then you kept going, and so I thought, okay, maybe you have read the revised version, because in my version, the prince is sad, yes, because he's not good-looking, but the reason he thinks he's not good-looking is because he's not white. And so he oh. says, if I were only a white prince, a princess would fall in love with me, and so therefore Polynesia says that Dr. Doolittle can turn him white. Right. And that is what Dr. Doolittle does. He he makes like a mixture of chemicals and medicines, and the prince puts his face into this liquid, and it turns his face white. Right. And he looks at himself in the mirror, and he's like, oh, my dreams have come true. Now a princess will fall in love with me because I am now a oh white my gosh. prince. And then no, he lets he... Dr. Doolittle go. Interesting. No, he puts his face into the mixture, and he just comes out looking more handsome. <sighs> okay. So that's how they changed it then. Gosh. Interesting. So now we come to the conversation of which edition did you have? Like, mine has been published by a Kindle specific publisher, SS Publishing, apparently. And there is a foreword at the beginning mm -hmm. that says, you know, she's specifically, this woman specifically wants to bring the classics to a modern audience. But I reckon mm -hmm. that'll be why that's been changed because because it is a it's a new publisher who's you know trying to introduce these books to new audiences and probably doesn't think that it would be appropriate to leave that in. Mm-hmm. I to be honest with you, I don't know which version I have. It has yeah. an introduction by someone called Hugh Walpole, whom through a quick Google search I found out was also an English novelist around the same time as um, Hugh Lofting. But I, mm. yeah, I don't know. Ah, uh, yes, it does. So in this introduction, it says, in this edition, you'll find the complete text updated for today's reader interesting hmm okay so fascinating because i was curious i did read that they had changed it but obviously i didn't know what they had changed it to mm. now we know so your version is obviously less problematic than my version yes Yes, so this is the, the main issue that I had with the book, this this specific um, number of scenes. The fact that we're presented with the idea that being white is the ultimate thing that a person can wish for, and yeah. that simply by the prince becoming white, all of his problems will be solved, mm. and Sleeping Beauty will fall in love with him if she ever sees him again. What do we... Well, I think we both agree that this is not a nice message, but 
Do you have anything else that you want to add? I don't know. I it's not a good message and it's it's something we see today still. We I mean look at Michael Jackson who apparently had an illness but we all know he didn't or not a physical one anyway. And then there's also in India I think there's a real like the lighter skinned you are the the more culturally you are accepted. And so there's a lot of skin bleaching. So I am not a fan of that. I don't think it's a good, you know, I think you should be proud of how you look no matter, no matter what you look like. And I hate beauty standards and all of that stuff. I do, however, have a, I don't have, uh, it's really difficult because the book was written as it was written at a time when these things were not considered as inappropriate as they are now. And the fact that they've changed it and not made it really clear where things have been changed. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just here reading our little podcast, but you could well imagine that if say we were different kinds of people and one of us had seen one ver- had read one version and the other had read the other and as a result it was like my favorite book of all time and you absolutely hated it and you were really against racism and you really thought that this was really inappropriate and you just could not understand how this was my favorite book of all time but we never actually discussed the fact that we had read different versions that's something that i do have a problem with because cuz it's like editing it's editing history. I would say in my edition it should have a subscript or, you know, mm. a little a little note saying this has been changed from the original. If you're interested, then go read the original, but it's not mm. appropriate for a modern audience and therefore we've changed it. That's fine. But when it's something that is, you know, I've read this as an unabridged, unedited version and I didn't read the one relevant sentence in the introduction from the publisher because I wasn't particularly, I don't know, interested. <laughs> you know, but it also doesn't say we've actually changed parts of the story. It just says updated. You know, maybe the text yeah. has been put into a friendlier format. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Different. Yes. Yeah, so the prince's face turns white as snow. And his eyes, which had been mud-colored, were a manly gray, is uh, a line from my version. So the prince is very happy with these results and lets them go. I think there is an, um, yes, there is then a, a discussion that this is not permanent. He will, his skin color will change back to what it was okay. before. The doctor kind of phrases this as he feels sorry for Bumpo because I'm afraid the medicine I used will never last. So one of the reasons why he didn't leave the mirror with him was so that he would never find out that he's actually black again. Right. So again, we keep just going with it. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it. And then you have the discussion with the animals, and the animals are also really mean about the prince. You have the pig, who's basically saying that 
you know, even if he had been white before, the Sleeping Beauty probably still wouldn't have wanted him because he's still ugly. Yeah. Yeah, there there were there were comments about that. I think Polynesia says that she preferred him the way he was before. So while I've sort of said, you know, uh they should make it clear that it's been updated for a modern audience, I still don't think it's a great message. It's it's still no. basically oh well if you don't like how you look, go get plastic surgery and everything will be fine, essentially. Yeah. I think this is definitely one of the things that dates the book as well. Because no children's author would dare to put anything like this into a mainstream book these days. Maybe if it was like self-publishing or, uh, you know, some some slightly alternative publishing house who did accept the less savoury parts of modern culture. But, but everything that I've seen, and okay, we're not children, but I feel like I do have a fair amount of exposure to children's literature partly through some of the stuff we've been doing with podcasts, but also because I have friends who have kids. And it's all very much about accepting people and accepting the way that you are. It's the complete opposite of this message. It'll be interesting uh, to see what kind of books you'll, you know, buy and and read to to your baby. Yeah. If we If we do continue the podcast for years to come, we can have one-off episodes of, oh, here's what I read this week. Yeah. Well, I mean, interestingly, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent now. Do it. So we have got quite the collection of books already because I am a reader and I want my child to read. So I sort of have made an effort to get books that feature minorities. There's also... Mm -hmm. So this one's called Handa's Surprise, and it's about a um, little girl in Kenya who gets a surprise. And then there's some, <laughs> some science books, obviously, General Relativity and Bayesian Probability. But then there's, <laughs> like, leaders. So it features uh, minority leaders. So either, mm-hmm. like, women, like um, Greta Thunberg, or non-white men. Uh, it's got... The Indian peaceful protester Mahatma Gandhi? Is that Gandhi? Is that... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You can tell that I didn't read these books. And then there's another couple which are introducing mindfulness for children. And Sulwe, Sulwe, which is... Oh, that looks really cute. Yeah. And that is specifically about a very dark-skinned child in a black family who Mm -hmm. is not accepted because her skin is so dark and her learning how to handle the way that people comment on your appearance. So you can see that this is clearly already for me a very big, you know, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do it and I don't know if I'll be successful, but I really want to try instill into my my children or child that the way that you look does not matter and that the media and culture and blah, blah, blah are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, we should... We will definitely probably revisit this as a topic, but... It kind of mm. puts two sides of me at war because I was, I don't know, 
maybe when you're reading a book like this with a child, you read the problematic bit and then you have a discussion with them about why it's problematic. Exactly. I I think that's what should be happening, really. Obviously, you know, not everyone has the time or for whatever reason, it's it becomes an issue when a child maybe reads this on their own and doesn't talk about it and therefore won't have certain elements explained. Mm. So, yeah. If I were if I were an 8-year-old and I was reading this with my mom, guaranteed she would have told me this is not how it should be, you know. Mm. But if I had read it on my own, I don't know what kind of yeah. conclusions I would have come to at that age on my own. I really don't know. But I think I was definitely reading books by that age that my parents had never read and would never read. Mm. And it sort of brings mm. you to that really fascinating thing of, you know, at what point do you start letting children go off and discover the world for themselves? Because you shouldn't be that controlling. But how do you try to mitigate some of the damage that might be done? I don't know. I have a friend who I work with who reads every book before she gives it to her children and her oldest is 11 now so like she's just not going to be able to do that <laughs> yeah if they become real bookworms then no <laughs> yeah and also and also they should be able to make their own minds up mm. yeah you know something that i feel strongly about isn't necessarily maybe i feel strongly because of my own biases Anyway, right, this has set us off on a real tangent, so let's get back to the story. <laughs> let's get back to the story. Prince Bumpo yeah. provides them with a boat, and off they go into the sea. They leave mm -hmm. behind, do they leave behind Chi-Chi, uh, Polynesia, and the crocodile? Yes. And off they go, and... They they go past the pirate's coast. Am I missing something that happens before this? No, I don't think so. Cool. So I think the next thing is that they see pirates who want to come and rob them of all of their valuables. And luckily, Polynesia told Dr. Doolittle that they needed a rope. So they managed to get some swallows to grab hold of all the ends of the little rope which they unravel into lots of smaller thinner sections and the swallows all pull them away from the pirates but they do eventually have to stop so they stop on an island so that everybody can get some rest and at this point they find out that the boat is not safe yes so how did you feel about this bit i thought that was exciting I liked the inclusion of the pirates at this point of the story. You know, there's a bit of a chase. I liked that the the way that they find out that the boat is not safe and will in fact sink is because all the rats on the boat are getting off on the island and one of the rats tells Dr. Doolittle that there's a hole in the ship and it's going to sink. I liked it because it tied into the concept of rats always leave a, a sinking ship, which I didn't know about, but it makes total sense. So I thought that was quite clever. 
yeah, I didn't really have any issues with with it. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. It was, it could have been really boring if it was just another, well, back back across the sea we go. And again, pirates always really appeal to children. Maybe questionable again. Why are there pirates at this part of the journey and not closer to England? I don't know. <laughs> I like that they, the island that they're on are the Canary Islands. Don't you hear the canaries singing? <laughs> yes, I love that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite funny. So then the pirates catch up with them and they try to trick the pirates because the pirates have gotten off their own boat and are on Dr. Doolittle's boat. So the mm-hmm. animals decide that they should get on the pirates' boat and leave. And then if the pirates try to chase them, well, they're going to sink anyway because the boat is sinking. But mm. the pig sneezes yes. or something. And it's so loud that the pirates hear them and they swim to the boat and they're threatening them. And then sharks come to the rescue <laughs> and the sharks offer to eat the pirates because they're bad men but Dr. Doolittle uh, convinces them not to and then he makes a deal with the pirates so what kind of what deal does he make he says that the pirates have to go and be farmers and grow all of the seed for the canaries on the canary islands <laughs> And that was, I think, another sort of element of Dr. Doolittle that you were saying earlier, you know, like he could punish people, but instead he finds a way to redeem them. So mm. he sort of says, well, you've been pirates your whole lives. Now you need to go and make re- make some amends for all the bad things that you've done. Yeah. And then I think we're nearing the end now, but I think this is maybe my least favorite and what I find to be the most unnecessary section of the book. Because as they start sailing, Tutu, the owl, claims that she can hear noises coming from a locked room from behind the door. They can't find the key, so they get an axe and they break down the door and they find a little boy in the room and he's crying because his uncle is missing and he doesn't know where his uncle is. Mm. And he wants them to help him find his uncle so what do they do to help the to help find the uncle <laughs> so they they try to get the porpoises who um have helped them previously to go and find this man and they can't they, they describe him as being a man with ginger hair and then they call down the eagles and because the eagles have got really good eyesight they should be able to fly and spot the man and they can't And then eventually the dog says, no, don't be ridiculous. I will be able to smell him wherever he is. And so over the period of what seems to be like a week or two weeks, because he has to wait for the wind to change regularly enough for him to be able to smell the snuff that the uncle takes, the dog smells him out and they manage to go and find him where he's hidden himself in like a cave on some rocks or something. And then they have to take him back to his home. And I think it's Italy. Was it Italy that he came from? I don't know. Well, it was, it's irrelevant anyway. Um, and there's this big hero's welcome and they're well rewarded. 
the dog gets a gold collar. Everybody's really happy. And yes, I agree with you. It was completely like... We'd already had the adventure with the pirates. This bit was kind of unnecessary. I completely agree. It it added, what, two or three more chapters. And it feels like the only reason we really had this in here was so that he could be rewarded and therefore we don't need to worry about money anymore. Mm. Because now the dog has a gold collar and Dr. Doolittle gets... What does he get? Uh, a perfectly beautiful watch with real diamonds in the back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really like it. I didn't think it was necessary. Um, could have done without it. Yeah. It it seemed to me like a wealth creation thing. Like, let's give the dog a gold collar and let's give Dr. Doolittle some diamonds. But there was no kind of like message behind any of it. It was just you get rewarded if you do stuff. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I wonder if it was also like we need or we want every animal to have done something, contributed in some way. Yeah. The owl found the boy. Okay, now the dog will find the man. Because the duck was find was catching the fish on the yeah. journey to Africa. And he went and found the mouse. Polynesia was saving the day left, right and center. Yeah. <laughs> Chi-Chi was the one who told them about the monkeys in the first place, so it just felt like, okay, we need something for the dog to do. Yeah. Oh, what can dogs do really well? Sniff. Yeah. So we'll go off on a tangent about sniffing out a man in the middle of the ocean. Like, come on. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah agreed. <laughs> so then we get to the last chapter, and they are finally back in England in Puddleby. Well, no, actually, first they travel around England with the push-me-pull-you, mm -hmm. uh, charging sixpence to see the two-headed animal from the jungles of Africa. And they make so much money that they never have to worry about money ever again when they get back home and they can mm. buy back the piano <laughs> and everyone has all the food that they need and presumably they all live happily ever after. <laughs> yes. I guess I was sort of ambivalent about the end. It was it was just a kind of, you know, an an end. <laughs> Me too, I think. It ties things up nicely, you know, we've come full circle, we're back where we started, and it's a nice self-contained story. You know, if there were no sequels, I don't think it would have mattered, and if, you know, the fact that there are sequels, I'm sure that there are also self-contained stories as well, mm. so... Yeah, I thought it was okay. Do you feel any differently about it now that we've talked about it? I was going to ask you exactly the same question. I'm going to stick with my three stars. And I'm curious if you will stick with your four, knowing how they changed the book. Well, I think I will stick with my four. Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I feel like this is where me being in an advanced stage of pregnancy really affects how I feel about children's books because everything that I'm reading, I'm like, hmm, would this be something good to use for the baby when they're mm -hmm. older? And when I was reading it, I was thinking this would be a really good one to read together. 
And I mm-hmm. think it probably still would be because I think, especially given my family's background with animals and how much we all love animals, it you know it it's a apart from those kind of elements, it's pretty harmless. I think I'm going to stick with it, but I also am going to caveat that with when this gets read to my child, there will be a discussion about appearance, etc., etc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's. That's fair. And I would probably do the same. I think as a children's book, it works really well. It's, Mm. you know, it's simple. It's an adventure. Kids generally like animals. So, yeah, why not? But if you're reading it with a child, then perhaps certain discussions should be had. Yeah. That's all. Definitely. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Okay, well, we've gone on for a lot longer than I thought we would. Yeah. Considering this is, this is an 80-page story. Yeah, I'm, story. I am astonished. I'm like, Will's, Will's <laughs> like, what are you still doing recording? We've got stuff to do, like, duh. <laughs> but I think it's been a good discussion. I think, I think this is one of the reasons why I really love the podcast, because A, I would never have known that that had been changed, but B... I do have fairly strong opinions about stuff that I quite often try not to be too vocal about. Like, even the vaccination topic, I'm quite happy to say I am pro-vaccination, but but I'm nervous about being like, oh, and anti-vaxxers are, you know, everybody has their reasons for things. But I think sometimes there are certain things that I avoid because I don't want to offend anybody and that's not necessarily always the best policy for things such as, you know, this kind of thing. So it's, it is one of the things that I really like about doing the podcast is that it, it kind of prompts us to have these conversations in a way uh-huh. that, you know, you can tell what my opinion is. And if somebody wants to discuss it further with me, then bring it on. But, mm. but also just trying to learn how to communicate with you and a wider audience in a way that is sensitive to everybody. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Do you want to tell us what we are reading next? Yes, and I think we will have similar discussions next time because we will be reading And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. And this will be the final episode of season five, so it will be our guest episode and our guest next time will be my oldest friend in the sense of I've known her for the longest in my life. And her name is Madina. And we're very, very much looking forward to to talking to her about this book. So yes. tune in next week for that. Yes, I am looking forward to it and looking forward to chatting to you next week. Me too. So have a good week and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading.